1: Hey, it's Turkey Week, March 11-17, free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the turkey woods, plus so much more, including Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that tom so head on over to the march 11 through 17 for turkey week
0: welcome to the wired to hunt podcast your guide to the whitetail woods presented by first light creating proven versatile hunting apparel for the stand saddle or blind first light go farther
2: stay longer and now your host mark kenyon Welcome to the Wired to hunt podcast I'm your host Mark Kenyon and this week on the show Tony and I are beginning an exploration of the equally fantastic and fraught journey of raising future hunters and anglers all right welcome to the Wired to hunt. Podcast. Podcast brought to you by First Light. And today we are kicking off a new topic of conversation, a several episode series diving into the fraught, fascinating, exciting, disturbing, distressing, wonderful, joyful waters of parenting. Tony, can I get an amen on all that?
3: <laughs> you, you sure can, buddy. And you use fraught. Uh, how often does that happen on a hunting podcast?
2: You know, we're trying to break down barriers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I love it, man.
2: Yeah, so so we're going to talk about raising outdoor kids, Tony. And I was hoping you could help me today kind of kick this off. Um, I've got a, a few different episodes planned with some very interesting different people who come to this with different perspectives. Uh, we've got like experts, we've got philosophers, we've got authors, we've got regular old dads who've been there and been in the trenches. Um, and I, I want to kind of talk about all different things related to, you know, introducing your kids to the outdoors, hunting with them, fishing with them, building an, an interest in the outdoors, teaching them about life and death and conservation and you know having fun outside and getting uncomfortable and having fun doing all that um and 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 just telling some stories too because i think you know when i think tony about folks who listen to this podcast there's a few things that unite us most of us uh most of us are pretty serious deer hunters most of us really love the outdoors and not all of us, but eventually many of us, probably most, will have kids that you'll want to get out there with you enjoying these things too. So this is one of those topics that I think is, is super applicable to a huge proportion of this group of people, but we don't talk about it a whole lot. Um, uh, do you feel like that is a – I mean, when I think about that, it's kind of a a mismatch between what's important and what we talk about because I think you would agree, Tony, that once you have kids – your priorities with hunting and what you're doing and how you're spending your time that changes in a big way doesn't it
3: oh man so much and it you know it's we're kind of a product of our our life situation you know i mean if you get somebody who's 23 and ate up with bow hunting and no kids and you know maybe a little light on life's responsibilities you know it might be all big bucks and then things change you you have some little babies at home and then all of a sudden you know your time is totally different and you become a weekend warrior and you know as those kids grow up and like you're talking about you want to get them out there it's like everything that you you would want for yourself out of it sort of takes a back seat how can I get them out there and have a great time and it's you know there's like a little bit of a transitional you know process to it but, man, it's so much fun. And it just kind of reframes the value of the outdoors and these, you know, how lucky we are to get to do the things we do when you get to introduce your kids to it. It's so fun.
2: Yeah, it's funny. It's it's one of the surprises to me when I, you know, I had all these thoughts and preconceived notions before having kids about what would be good, what would be bad, what would not be tough. Um, but one of the surprises was how it brought new joy to hunting and fishing for me. I thought it was gonna make hunting and fishing harder and like I wouldn't be able to enjoy it as much. And on the flip side, it has actually like shined new light on fun things and, and stuff that I took for granted or ignored, all of a sudden like it's those little things that you get to relive through
3: their eyes that makes
2: it so cool, you know? Yeah.
3: Did did you find that first with fishing with the boys? You know or not?
2: I, I the kit the boys had Fishing was the place where they got to be, like, personally involved the the quickest, but, like, hunting adjacent stuff still. Like, they got, like, even just, like, whenever it was, I guess he would have been, like, 10 months old or something. And he got to see, like, the first deer I killed when he was alive. And, like, him just being, like, in awe by its fuzzy tail. You know? Stuff like that. I mean, that I totally would never even think about. But when you take a second and you see how excited your kid is about the tail of a deer or its hooves, and then you take a second to be like, you know what? That is cool. And you start looking underneath it and taking a look at the hooves and touching them. And uh, uh, that kind of thing is what I'm talking about, where you just look at things different because they look at things so much different than we do in our jaded old person eyes.
3: Yeah. So I, I was just curious. Cause you, I mean, you were at probably a little bit different place, but when, what really kind of struck me with my little girls was I, I didn't realize how much I had burned myself out on fishing when I was younger. Like I knew I had, you know, cause it was, I turned it into my job for a while and I, I just wasn't, it was a bad spot for me to be in. So I, I had kind of, you know, not fully stepped away from fishing, but I really pumped the brakes pretty hard for a while. And then with them, you know, it was when they were little, you're like, we're going to go out and drown worms and use live bait. And it's all bobber fishing and simple stuff. And when I would take them when they were like three or four, just this wave of like, oh, man, you you forgot how awesome this was, like how how fun this could be. And it just it that that was like my like that was like when the door started opening up and I was like, man. I can see this happening with everything I do. Yeah. You know, like, it, cause I just, I didn't see that coming. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll take my little girl's fish and hopefully we catch something. And it just, it changed like my mindset over it. And it made me, I like, I enjoyed it again. And it was so cool.
2: Yeah. That's a really good point. And, and it kind of, you kind of alluded to this like before having kids. I think there's this, I mean, there's, there's obviously some excitement, but I think there's also some like apprehension, you know, some, some worries about how it's going to change your time and your passion. Um, And so that, you know, there might be people now, there might be all the, all the younger people that aren't parents yet. They maybe didn't even click on this podcast, so maybe they're not even listening to this one, (laughs) but, but hopefully there's a few. Folks out there who are thinking to themselves, man, I think I want to have kids someday, but this stuff's kind of scary. Uh, I I don't know what's going to what's going to mean for my hunting and fishing craziness. I mean, for someone, if, if there's two people out there like that right now, Tony, and if you knew there was like two people listening to this podcast that are not yet parents that are debating, like, should I have kids or should I not? How is it going to change my hunting and fishing passion and all that kind of stuff? Like, what would you tell those people? Let's let's imagine it's. Jill and Jill are listening and they're on the fence and they're thinking, man, I love hunting and fishing. We travel the country. We do cool stuff. We've got it made. Uh, I don't know about this whole kid thing. What would you say to that person To those people? Well,
3: first, first off, I'd pull Joe aside and I'd be like, listen, man, it's not really your choice. Like, <laughs> I know you think you're like an you have like equal say in this, but if Jill's. If Jill wants this, she's gonna figure it out. Like it's probably gonna happen. But <laughs> honestly, it's so hard. Some of this stuff's so hard to convey if you're not in this space. You know, like when you when we talk about like the phases of you know being a hunter and you know, I just want, I just want to kill something. I just want to kill this. Now I want this trophy or whatever. And you go through them, you can't, when you're in the thick of that, whatever phase it is, you can't really see the next one. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, this is important. And man, I, I don't, I'm so lucky. I'm like you, like I I get to do a lot of outdoor stuff. I hunt and fish a lot and you know, a lot of different places. My favorite thing to do is to either take my girls turkey hunting or to take them hunting deer. Like I don't, it's better than anything else I get to do. And I'm talking, you know, hunting sweet places during the rut for myself or going out into the mountains and hunting elk. I enjoy it that much. And, you know, so you think like, oh man, I'm going to have these kids and they're going to, you know, I'm not going to have any time anymore. And yeah, you'll go through the, you know, when they're young, you, you won't hunt as much as you want probably. But once they start being able to just even go scout with you in the spring or go on a little shed hunt it's like it's so worth it it's so fun and so you just got to know that yeah there's it's going to change for you but the odds are pretty damn good it's going to change for the better
2: yeah and you're right it's really hard to say this stuff without sounding like a cliche or to to Have someone hear it, and unless they're in it themselves, just have them roll your eyes, their eyes, you know? Like, I think that when my dad was telling me this stuff, or even when you were telling me this stuff, you know, six years ago before I had kids, I was probably rolling my eyes. (laughs) So it's so hard to believe it until you feel it. But you're right. Like, that is the best stuff. And it's the best in ways that you never would have expected. Um, I mean, I don't know what's one of the, what's one of the awesome things you've done recently with your kids. I mean, is there, is there, I know you've been outside with the girls, uh, tell me a story, tell me a story of something you've done recently with both of them or one of them. That is a good example of like this kind of thing.
3: I will, but I want to, I want to touch on something you just said, just cause I I think it's super important. I don't want to gloss over this. Sure. Um, I noticed this. You know, I, I see this in your videos when you're fly fishing with your boys last year, and I know you kind of kept me up to date on your, your vacation down in Florida this year fishing with them. And one of the things, it, like maybe the most relatable way to put this is kids, you know, you mentioned it's kind of like these these experiences are so new and it's like they're at every little thing is, you know, yeah. we, we kind of take it for granted. But like the base level of it is they just have pure fun. Yeah, doing it. And that's like infectious. And I I always tell people, you know, like, and this is like no secret, but the reason that the hunting public so successful partially is people go, those guys are having fun. No question. This doesn't feel like a job. Like Mm -hmm. it, it looks like they're enjoying. And that's, that's like, there's a big time gravity to that. And when you take kids out, you know, your, your focus is like, man, I'd really like to ke- catch a tarpon on a fly or something. Like we have these man goals, right? <laughs> and the yeah. kids are like, I don't care what, I, you know, I want to catch grunts and whatever else under the dock and watch, you know, whatever the little jellyfish swim by and use my little net because everything's pure fun. And if you just, if you're exposed to that with your kids, there's like, there's no way you're not going to enjoy it. Like, it's going to just force you to just, like, reframe your little world, and they bring you in, and their enjoyment is just infectious. And, like, that's probably – I think that's, like, one of the coolest things, not only about taking kids, but just taking new people out hunting and fishing. Yeah. So true. Very, very true. So you want a, you want a story, uh
2: Yeah, give me, give me an example of one of these. If you – I mean, if you can think of a moment recently – that kind of illustrates what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, I can, I can give you one example while you're thinking, speaking of those Florida fishing trips, um, you know, one of the wildest things that's happened to me and one of the coolest things as a dad has been seeing myself reflected back at me. Like this bizarre alternate universe where I have been like removed from myself and I'm now watching myself as a kid. Like when we were in Florida, and I don't think I've told this story in the podcast, um, but we went to Florida a couple months ago. And I, I know I was telling you about this, but we're, we had a little place on the coast and we had a dock and every morning, Everett, five years old, would get up and like before we're even really out of bed and going and he was running out the front door. I'd hear like the porch door open and I'd have to run out there. Like, What's he doing? He's got his fishing pole and he's running to the dock. And he runs down the dock. He's got his life jacket on. He's got his fishing pole. Uh, he'd grab a little bag of, of shrimp that we had in the freezer. And <laughs> he would go out to the end of this dock. And he transformed into little Mark Kenyon at age like 7, 8, or 9. When I would sit at the end of the dock, we would go up to my uncle, my great uncle's cabin in the Adirondack Mountains. He had a little place on the lake. And I would go out to the end of that dock, and I would dunk worms for Five, six hours at a time. Like I wouldn't come in for breakfast. I wouldn't come in for lunch. Like, that's all I want to do. And now I'm watching my five-year-old do the exact same thing. Like, he's out there at the end of this dock dunking shrimp, and he doesn't want to come in for anything. He doesn't want to come in for ice cream. He doesn't want to come in for lunch. He doesn't want to. He just drops that shrimp. Got one dad. Pulls it in. Pulls off a grunt, drops it back in, pulls up a little yelltail snapper, got one dad, pulls it in. Oh man, it's a puffer fish, Dad. This is the best day ever. <laughs> I mean, every little thing was the best thing ever. And uh, and it just like, like you said, it's infectious. All of a sudden in my head, I'm like, man, this is the best thing ever. Like this is this is so fun and so bizarre seeing like this piece of me separate of me now coming to life and uh and looking just like i don't know it must have been uh, i don't know it's just a wild wild thing to see come into the world like that i mean that was one example for me that's just like man this is this is something else
3: so i i gotta ask you since he's a mini you and there's nothing that could distract him out there did you point out any cool pollinators in the yard or anything that might get him (laughs)
2: no pollinators were not on the menu Uh, we were very focused but what we did do is we pointed out sea life so we were what was cool about this was uh not only was there the dock but there was also like tide pools it was like a rocky shoreline and so when the tide came out we were finding all sorts of um all sorts of hermit crabs and other things and i would made a huge mistake this is a huge daddy blunder um i'd never seen these things before but uh we got to the first morning and the tide was coming out and I saw these, they looked like little purple, like tide pods. Do you know what, you know, tide pods are right. Oh yeah. So I thought to myself, man, this is weird. These look like little tide pods that have washed up on the shore and like got inflated again. Like it's kind of clear and blue kind of filled up and I'm looking at, we're
3: talking about some jellyfish here.
2: Yeah. And my son (laughs) reached down and touched one. And then I'm like, I don't think we should touch that, but I don't know what that is. Um, and then later I found out it was a freaking man war, which are these, if you touch, if you get the tentacles on you, like major, major painful jellyfish. Um, and so I got very lucky that it wasn't a grab <laughs> instead of just a poke. Um, so that's another parenting thing is you got to really be on top of your game and learn your shit quick. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no pollinators, but we were seeing stingrays. We are seeing all the hermit crabs. There are all sorts of kinds of, all sorts of kind of fish, Um, pelicans. I mean, that's the other thing is like, you mentioned like getting obsessed with tarpon or something. And that's easy for me to do is like have the focus and like be obsessed with it. But kids in this case, Everett was out there and he is not focused on anyone other than wanting to fish. But also like he will get excited by the pelican that lands on the dock. And then he'll remind you to look down at the weird, thing floating in the water and they still do like notice all the little things that we gloss over and we're so focused on the single pursuit and they can enjoy the entire experience maybe a little better than than we can sometimes.
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh you you want to hear my story now? Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll tell you a turkey hunting story cuz we have been we have really been in the trenches with the turkeys. Uh we're we're all tagged out now in Minnesota, but it, it let me preface this by saying I take turkey hunting for granted. Like I'm way too confident in turkey hunting. And I started this year, I started in Iowa hunting for myself, got my ass handed to me, and, which, which stings. Cause I was like, this'll be a, you know, even on public land, I'm like, this'll be a gimme. And then we came home to Minnesota and usually in Minnesota, I have them scouted out really well. And it's kind of like a first day first couple days type of thing ass handed to me there. We went to Wisconsin, <laughs> hunted the youth season. And I was like, at least we'll, we'll get one here, no birds. So I hunted, I think the first seven days, either me or mostly with my daughters, never saw a legal bird, never right. saw a Jake, never saw a Tom. And I'm talking, you know, this we're on field edges. Like we, sh- we should see something right. Just brutal. And my one daughter was like, I want a long beard this year so bad because she's killed a couple Jakes. And she's like, I just don't want to. You know, she would have shot one in a heartbeat. But she's like, I just love that long beard. My other one had killed three Toms. So she's like, I don't care, whatever. Well, the one, the Jake shooter, we go out because I, I, I had one Tom on this farm by my house who's got the thinnest beard. But he's he kind of moved in. So I was like, well, honey, he's kind of the only game in town. Let's go, let's go after him. So we go out, I don't know, this is, you know, maybe seven, eight days into the season. And I still haven't seen a legal bird yet. We're sitting there and I'm calling, this is an evening setup or an afternoon setup. We went on after school and a bird gobbles at me and I'm like, oh my God, this is like the first (laughs) response I've gotten that wasn't off the roost this season And so call a little bit. I look out and he's standing like 200 yards away, just kind of eyeballing the decoys. But it's like, you know, six o'clock. So we have like two hours to work him in because you can hunt till sunset. I'm like, this is going to happen. He's by himself. This bird looks at us, gobbles a few times, turns around, cuts back into the swamp and disappears. And I'm like, man, that was maybe he had hens or something. But I'm like, of course, you know, like, why why wouldn't he just, you know, strut right on in. So anyway, we're sitting there and I just I pick him up in the swamp. I see him back there and he's scratching, but he's like 200 225 yards away and I he won't pick his head up. I call, I'm I'm throwing everything I've got at him. And he's just totally, you know, uninterested. Not going to happen. And so I kind of give up on him. He disappears and I'm look I look at my phone and I'm like, "Honey, we have 10 minutes left." And it's not going to happen, you know, but we better ride it out anyway. And a minute later, I was just, I just happened to be looking at my daughter and that bird gobbled at like 150 yards and her eyes. Like, I mean, she was just like, they bugged out of her head. She just like panicked. Like I got to grab the gun. I'm like, let's just, (laughs) let's just settle down here. We got a little ways to go yet. We're not sitting here with a high powered rifle shooting them at, you know. Uh-huh. A football field and a half. We need them in the decoys. And so I'm like, okay, we got nine minutes for this bird to get here. And I start calling, and she kind of peeks out the window and she goes, Dad, there's a turkey in the field. And we're sitting on a, a soybean field that's, you know, just flat dirt. And so I look out, I'm like, I don't see a turkey. And I'm like, I'm not going to miss a turkey in a soybean field. Like, and so I'm like, where, honey? And she goes, In the field. And I go, Well, <laughs> how far away? And she goes, I don't know, 50 yards. And I'm like, you think there's a turkey 50 yards? Like we have this, like, I'm looking, I'm like, there's not a turkey within 50 yards. So I look out in this cattail swamp and see this red head bobbing through at like 125 yards. And I'm like, is, is the turkey in the yellow stuff? And she goes, yeah, it's a hen. And I go, well, Hey, it's a Tom. And he's like, you know, 200 times as far as you think he like, he's not even anywhere near this. So anyway, (laughs) he starts coming in and kind of like, you know, one of those deals where he'll kind of half strut kind of give you a look, but then start to turn like he wanted to go down this logging road off the field. So I'd hit him with some calls and he'd start moving in and I'm looking at my phone and I'm like six minutes, four minutes. And finally he commits and comes in and I'm like, we are like, we're cutting it close, but we've got a little bit of time. But I told her, I was like, when he gets near the decoys, I'm gonna call real loud. He'll stop and pick his head up. Cause I didn't want him to start fighting because then they get real distracted if they're working on the Jake, you know? And so this happens. I I yelp and cut real loud and he picks his head up and she dumps him, just smokes him. And I look at my phone and I'm like, we have one minute left well like that we were down to the wire and she's like i got my tom i got my long beard and then we run out there to look at him and like three quarters of this little thin eight inch beard is just laying on the ground she shot it
2: off
3: (laughs) so she's got like an eight strander (laughs) you know but she's like i don't care it's a tom and it was so sweet
2: that's so great that's awesome so uh you you bring Something came to mind when you were talking about this, like calling the bird and her getting all excited and ready. Um, I have I've taken my son, actually both of them now, out for turkeys, but not on like actual hunts. Like we just go and like we're acting like we're hunting and trying to get them in range. Yep. Um but whenever I do that, um, they always want to use the calls. Like they always right. want to try the calls. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I want them to have fun, but at the same time, as soon as I give this call to my son ever, it's like. <laughs> Crazy, insane things, and every animal that might be within sound range is now long gone. Um so so two questions. Number one is do you let the kids call when you're turkey hunting? Number two, and this is the bigger picture question What's your like thought process been, Tony, when it comes to like this balancing act when we take our kids hunting between getting the animal, which seems like would be an amazing moment with our kids. Versus letting the kids just do what's fun for them in the moment. So part A, part B.
3: Um, I, I do let my girls call some. I mean, the best thing to do with kids is to get one of those uh, spring-loaded push-button calls. Ah, and then, yeah. you know what I mean? And then teach them, okay, we do a, a three Yelp or a five Yelp or a seven Yelp sequence. And then I always have a mouth call in to kind of drown them out. Yep. if it's you know if it starts to go a little haywire which it will yep. <laughs> um but you know what I what I tell my girls and you know they're in a different stage now than your boys are a lot older but is you can tell me when to call like if you think we need to liven something up should we should we go a little knots with a slate in the mouth call and really get after it what should we do you know like and so I kind of I'm trying to get them to own a little bit more of the process and it's hard. And this kind of leads into your second half. I want them to succeed so much that sometimes it's I'm, I'm too much. Like I need to yeah. back off and realize they're, they don't need that kill as much as I want them to have it. And it, that takes time, man. It's, it's tough. Cause you know, this is like, the number one problem, maybe not the number one, but it's it's way up there. It's ranked on, on what we have when we take new people out. This is why it's so hard. If you're, you know, if you're some the random hunting dude, and you take your wife or your girlfriend out on her first hunt, you're gonna almost get divorced every time because <laughs> you want it so bad, and you're yeah. gonna be a prick about it, and you're gonna be too serious, and she doesn't care. You know, like she's not that newbie isn't invested in this the way that you are. And that's something that my little girls, and my like, when I take them, I'm like, I have to, I have to put us in a cool setting where we have a chance, but more importantly, like we just have the opportunity to see some animals or hear some animals or think we will. And, you know, it's like kind of back to when we were talking about fishing, it's like, you know, you, you might be sitting on the dock and not care about catching little grunts all day long, but your kid thinks this is the coolest thing in the world. You know, when I take my daughters out in Northern Wisconsin, if a grouse walks through or a, you know, a pileated woodpecker or something starts working on a tree next to you, you might not even pick your head up from your phone sometimes for something like that. And they're like, Oh my God, look at the size of that woodpecker, you know, like, and so you just kind of got to reframe it. And, try to find that balance, but it it's hard, man. Cause you, you just want it for them so bad. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's uh, a constant struggle because, I, and this might be wrong, but like the assumption or, and I think a lot of people feel this way as the mentor or the, the parent, you feel like, man, if they just experience what's the best thing for me, and we think like and lots of times wrongly but lots of times we think that the best thing is like getting the deer getting the turkey like yep. we are aiming for that thing and i i find myself sometimes thinking like man if if he could just be with me when we get a turkey or if we, he if he's there for the first time we get a deer that's going to be the best thing ever that'll have him hooked um and so like you said that leads us to being you know way too serious about it yeah. um but i think that's probably a mistake i think because if you if you go too far that direction, and the process itself along the way isn't fun, then I don't think that end result probably matters that much for them because they don't enjoy any of it. Um, yep. So at least that's what I keep on trying to remind myself. But it's it's hard. It's hard. Well,
3: but you're right, man. Like there's there's such value in a in like some level of struggle. You know, you you don't want them to go out and have it super easy but you also want to really kind of manage that struggle. You know, if if they're super cold and uncomfortable or you know if there's if they're real tired or something if if there's like com- compounding effects of like the misery in addition to just not having success right away, then things go south. Like right? then then you're at risk of just making it too much of a bad thing. And so I was—I kind of look at it like that's why I like turkey hunting so much. You know, if you pick and choose decent days and they've got hand warmers or whatever and you're, you know, they're eating candy in the blind, the, the discomfort levels can be managed real well, you know. And so then it's like even if the turkeys don't show up too much or they're not cooperating, at least they're not like, I hate this, yeah. you know, because I'm not. And we, you know, we just don't. It's hard to relate to that because you know we're we have good gear and we're used to going out and sitting in a tree stand from dark to dark and like this is what we do this is our driver for them we're just trying to get them to a place of like you start loving it a little bit and then we'll we'll start you know we'll be okay being a little colder or a little more hungry or tired or whatever but right now that's it's so important to manage that
0: Hey,
1: it's Turkey Week, March 11-17, through 17th. free shipping on all orders at First Light, FHF Gear, Phelps Game Calls, and the Meat Eater Store, too. You can pick up all the First Light gear that I wear in the Turkey Woods, plus so much more, including... Meat Eater by Phelps Turkey Calls, which are straight-up killers, and Vortex Red Dots at 20% off. We're going to get you set up for the turkey season. So set up, in fact, that all you have to do is focus on that Tom. So head on over to the TheMeatEater.com, March eleven through seventeen for Turkey Week.
2: What about for you, um, the, the next thing about like trying to balance that fun versus the hunt itself, for me is like doing things the right way. So I guess this kind of ties back to like the calling thing. So I, I find myself constantly struggling out there between the trying to get my boys to do the right thing. So don't like I'm constant like, whisper. You got to whisper. Yeah. Talk quiet. You yeah. got to whisper. You got to whisper. Uh, and catching myself like just harping on them over and over. And I'm like, okay, you got to ease up. Um, or, you know, Moving too fast, moving too much, uh, standing up when they should be sitting down, like all those things. And I know that if you harp on them too much on that stuff, it's not fun anymore. But if you don't harp on them some, they're not going to learn. They're not going to get better. And we're never going to see a damn thing. Uh, (laughs) So like trying to do that, like I I find myself constantly when I'm out there, like having this internal dialogue with myself, like having to hold myself back from my instinctual, like stop, stop. Shut up. Be quiet. Whisper. Like Constantly in my head, like stopping myself, but also trying to figure how do I. And I guess this is a general parenting thing. How do you teach them or get them to do something without being a a total
3: (laughs) a-hole? You know what you. Well, I'll I'll address that in a second. But don't you think you get enough practice being patient in that situation when you hunt with a cameraman over your shoulder? <laughs> yeah, that's good training for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Are you are you literally eating another handful of Starburst in my ear right now at <laughs> twenty minutes before dark? That while, kind of stuff?
2: yeah, while this buck is approaching. <laughs> Come on, people.
3: <laughs> yeah, are you are you going to clank that metal? uh Yeti against something one more time while we're did, out here. Yeah. Did you bring a metal Yeti again? <laughs> Dude. Uh, with kids, I think you got to, I think what, and uh, listen, I maybe am a poor example of this cause I can lose my cool pretty fast sometimes. But I'll, like my first, my first year turkey hunting with the girls, they were eight. And the one who just killed that little thin uh Tom She's a lunatic. Like she is not a patient child. She is not a, she's not a child who takes direction. Well, she's, she's like a little Tasmanian devil. And we had, when she started Turkey hunting, I called in so many birds and she spooked so many birds. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I can't lose my shit over it because it's going to happen. And I just need her to understand like if those birds are 10 yards away in the decoys and you're moving your head all around or your hands all around, they're going to get us. And they did. And so you kind of just have to accept some of that. It's like, you know, you got to learn how to move like and you, and you do that by making mistakes, right? Like the best deer hunters out there make and they've made thousands of mistakes I mean you might make a thousand mistakes a season yeah you know and so some of that you just like you that's acceptable like you're like okay you're just gonna have to learn to do this the right way some of it when they're making noise or they're you know they're being squirrely or whatever like you can you can tamp that down a little bit and be like listen you know if you're gonna open a package of pop tarts let's just get this let's rip this band aid off let's not crinkle it around for five minutes you know stuff like that but it's just a learning process, you know. Um, I was I was going to ask you. I I don't know enough about Michigan. Uh, what what's the minimum age out there? Like, w- when will you be able to take your boys actually hunting?
2: So they can go with me, you know, from the get go. And I think the latest, if I remember right, I think this it's a mentor kind of situation here in Michigan, where it's, as soon as they're ready to go, they've got a few years before having hunter safety that they can go with a parent or mentor. Um, at any
3: age. And is that turkeys and deer? Yes. Do So how how old is your oldest boy? He's five. What, what are, what are you anticipating? Like, when are you like, I think this is going to be, we'll be able to do this when he's what age?
2: Yeah. That's the thing I'm thinking a lot about. He He's ready to go right now. Like he wants to, he wants to do it right now. He got a BB gun for his birthday. And so he's like, he's shooting a BB gun. He's very effective. um, he is he, he wanted to shoot a deer this year too and all these things I think he's he's too young for all of it still um I don't know exactly when that right age will be um but I if you had to if you're gonna put a you know if you're gonna force me to put a number out there maybe I'd say a couple more years yeah um I don't know exactly when like he, he's very excited about it He's pretty darn good for a 5-year-old. Like he can he can hold pretty darn still. He can he can do everything pretty well. He's he's going to be the easy one. The younger one, kind of like you mentioned, is going to be yep. my Tasmanian devil. Um but Everett could probably do it. I actually think like I would give better than 50-50 odds he could pull it off well this year even. Um but I just want to make sure he's a little more mentally you know, mature. I think maturity is the thing I want to keep working on with him. Um,
3: So that he, are are you worried? Sorry, but are you, are you worried there on on the maturity level about having like an ugly death? Like, you know, yeah. I mean, mean, is that kind of the concern? It's, it's that.
2: So part of it is that like, I want to make sure he's, he's more proficient and more mature to, to avoid that kind of mishap. Um, And then number two, just like to get it, like I I, I I see there's there's kids out there now like I'm seeing videos on YouTube and on social like in these states where there's no minimum age where dads are taking their sons out or sons or daughters and they're they're killing a deer at five years old or six years old and like kids can do that I know they can do that there's kids that can effectively shoot and 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 nothing against that I just for my children I'm trying to figure out when that age is when they can understand at least. To some degree, the gravity of what they're doing, yep. um, and I, I don't know what that right age is yet for my kids. I'm, that's what I'm trying to figure out. But but I want to make sure if we are, and this is like a big, big overarching thing, Tony, that I have I do not I don't, I don't know the answers to yet. It, between like fostering the fun in this experience versus also providing them or helping them understand the gravity of it or the importance of it you know like i'm that's the thing i'm trying to figure out with with the bb gun like my son has a bb gun now and he wants to you know hunt every little critter out there right chasing birds and chipmunks and everything and i did that when i was a kid and it was fun and i think that was part why was one of the things that you know helped me become a hunter so i want him to have this little miniature version of his own hunt and feel like he's really doing it but i'm i'm trying to figure out like how do i also teach him about like the importance of it and if you are going to shoot an animal what that means and how do I do that in a way that isn't over his head at five years old, that doesn't like crush his soul and the fun of it, but also somehow still like in a child friendly way teaches him that this isn't, you know, just a game that this is actually a serious thing to I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, but those are the questions I've got when it comes to figuring out when he's going to hunt for a Turkey on his own and a deer on or with me and all that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, man. That, that part's tough. That was, that was my primary concern with taking the girls deer hunting because, you know, turkeys, I don't know. They're just, there is not that connection to a turkey the way that, you know, kids can feel with a, a deer. It's a different thing. And I was terrified of a spine shot. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, I think you know, people might disagree with me on this, but you know, you're raising two little boys. I'm raising two girls. I've got hunting buddies who have boys who are the girl's age and they hunt like crazy. There's a, there's, it's, there's a difference. I mean, you know, when you talk about your little boy running around with a BB gun, trying to shoot every sparrow and chipmunk and everything he can, Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that was a lot of us. Right. I mean, when we were, you know, when I was younger, we, we, I have murdered so many (laughs) little sparrows and pigeons and starlings and stuff in my life with BB guns and pellet guns growing up. And that was what we lived for. And there's like a, you know, I see this in some of my buddies, little boys, there's like a bloodthirst there that I don't see in the girls. Yeah. You know, like they don't, they have animals. They're like, no way, not shooting that, not doing that. And they don't, they don't have this desire to just go out and kill whatever and so i always felt with them like man one bad death and we we this might end like it always felt sort of like a house of cards so i'm just curious about that with the age thing cuz as they get more mature you know they understand what they're doing you know like they start to learn like yeah i'm taking a life and it you know like it's there's some weight to this but man that initial stage where you take them out you're just like I I know if they stick with this, they'll have an ugly one. They'll, they'll spine one or, you know, something's going to happen, but I hope it's not now. Like, I hope it's down the road when they've done this and they've been a part of the, you know, the scouting process and the work involved. And then they've helped you butcher one and they love to eat it and they go, okay, yeah, that, that thing sucked. I don't want to do that again, but the overall process is worth it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, it's a, it's a doozy. Like all, all that there's, there's so many of those things that I'm, I'm finding these, these uh, tricky lines you have to walk between like, you know, like you said, like trying to minimize the risk of something bad happening while also still letting them have fun. Or like how do you encourage the fun while also introducing and helping them understand the importance of it? Or, you know, like with my boys um, and Everett, especially he's, you know, he's developing a love for animals while also he has this love for hunting. And, you know, he, he's learning about, you know, in, you know school stuff and, and the, like wildlife videos and shows and stuff. We're learning. you he's starting to hear about how hunters nearly sent this animal to extinction and how this animal struggling in the, the rainforest or something. And so I'm trying to help him already. Like it's crazy at five, you know, he's being introduced to this like serious stuff. And I'm trying to understand how do you, how do you make this make sense to a five-year-old in a way that he can enjoy hunting and love the outdoors and understand like it's okay to do it. uh, But also know that this comes with like an obligation to also take care of nature. Um, And so I'm trying to think of like, how do you do that in like a kid appropriate way that doesn't like make it not fun and doesn't, become overwhelming but like in some kind of five-year-old brain way makes sense um i don't know those are those are the yeah, things that i'm if
3: dude if you figure that out with a five-year-old you let me know because i know 45 year olds who don't get it <laughs> yeah that's... You, you know i mean it's that's a tough thing but i think it's just i think it's just get them in a position to develop a love for the outdoors i know it's like so cliched but you know if you if if you're waking up at five and you're running out the door to go fishing, like you're you're getting there already. Like you're, you're going to love it so much that you don't want to see it go away. Yeah. And I just, I think that's important, you know? And and I think it's just exposure to a lot of different things in the outdoors. You know, it's not just seeing a big buck. It's like seeing all the animals that live in the big woods, you know, like it's, I I think that it's just so important to get them out there to experience a lot of different stuff. And then I think that will come eventually, yeah, like he's not going to get it when he's in you know kindergarten, but the the like the framework can start to be built already,
2: yeah, and, and it's just uh it's, yeah, I think that's a great point. You're building a foundation now, and the foundation doesn't need to be over complicated, but it's it, you build it little bit by little bit, but the the key thing that has to be there from the get-go is the fun. The love, the enjoyment, and then you give. I think if you just kind of every once in a while, you add a little something more. You you satiate a little bit of curiosity. You answer a question. You show you know bring them up to be a part of like what you're doing. Like so, perfect example. Of this uh, was walleye fishing the other day with the dad of one of my son's friends at school, and so we went fishing in the morning, and then we went to go pick up the kids from school, and uh, we had not clean the fish yet. So we were going to fillet the fish on the tailgate of the truck at school um, and then save a couple. So when the kids came out, we could show them. And so picked up the kids after school, came out to the trucks. Um, and then the two of them were just so, so excited to get to see a couple fish in the cooler, pick them up, look at them together, and then watch us, you know, filleting them and showing them what we were doing. they got to touch everything and look at everything and spin it around and play with in a kid way. But then, you know, I mean, anytime you can get them involved in like the whole process, I think that builds like an appreciation itself, even without talking about it, just like, not only did we have fun hunting or hunt, have fun fishing, but we also had fun in the process of turning this into a thing that we are appreciating and using. And so they got to see the fish getting cut up. And then tonight they're going to help me fry it up and we're going to eat it tonight together. And like that helps, you know, without even saying a thing, I think you're teaching that some of those lessons, and maybe that's the best thing. That's the easiest way, maybe to treat to to sh- to help teach those kinds of things is just show it with your actions and have them in a part of it.
3: I I totally agree. I mean, I I think the more parts of this that you can involve them in, the better. You know, like it, and and I think that's a mistake that in the hunting industry we've made par- partially due to the constraints of the kind of content we make but you see so often like oh you know we're taking my buddy's kid out on his first hunt and you know it's like you go sit in a box blind over a food plot and 17 deer walk out and one of them gets shot and it and there there's like it feels very surface level you know and it it may be it may not be you're only getting the 22 minutes of show or whatever but we've kind of like presented that image that you just bring them into this you know, kind of babysat situation, they killed are done. And when you're doing it yourself with kids, your kids, or, you know, whatever, if you're bringing newbies out or whatever, you're just like, okay, there are so many opportunities like you're talking about with those walleyes and the little boys that are not, that's not like a part of a fishing trip. Really? Yeah. Like, that's not something we focus on. You don't think about it, but it's important. Like so important for developing like a greater just curiosity and love of the game. You know, I mean, I, my, my other, the one, my one daughter two nights ago, uh, I was Turkey hunting with her. She still had a tag left and we called in three Jakes and she killed her bird. And when we, when we got back to clean it, she's like, dad, I want to, I want to see, you know, this, 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 and this, you know, she's like, can you take his heart out? Can you show me his lungs? I'm like, let's chill here, Dexter. Like you'll, (laughs) we'll, we'll get there. But then she's like, I want to know what he was eating. And so we cut his crop open and it was grass. And I think they were, I think they were foxtail seeds. I'm not sure, but these little seeds in there. And she was like, can I touch that? And I was like, You go nuts. Like, I don't, I don't really care what you touch here. And she's like, I can't believe I'm holding turkey food that a turkey found and ate and then it was in him, <laughs> like, you know, and I'm like, I just want to get this thing cut up. Cause this is the fourth Turkey I've cleaned in like five uh-huh. days. I'm like, I'm, I'm over this, but those parts, like you, you don't know what they're going to think about that as you move on, you know, like some, somehow that's going to be a little core memory when I'm Turkey hunting with her next year, where she's going to be like, I wonder what those turkeys are eating, mm-hmm. you know, like your little boy is going to be like, I I can't wait to catch my own walleye so we can cook them up for the family or whatever like that. I think that stuff just matters so much. Yeah.
2: So, so, so much. So your story with, uh, with your daughter just reminded me of, a, of another big moment in our uh, family. I don't know, a couple months ago. Um, so I mentioned the BB gun and I've got, I want, I've got some questions for you about this too. But um, so Everett got a BB gun for his birthday. Great opportunity to do a whole lot of, you know, Firearm safety discussions and lots of practice and, and a lot. He, he's obsessed with it, loves it, doing all that stuff. It's been a really fun thing for us. Um, but eventually it was like, okay, you know, you can, um, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to let him do some of that stuff that you talked about doing. Those little boys, they want to go out and be a hunter finally for the, for the first time. Um, and so he got his first bird uh, a few weeks ago or a month ago or something. Got a little bird. And, um, I actually wasn't even around for my, my wife was out with him and I was recording a podcast and I came back out and my wife's eyes are just big. And she's like, he actually got one. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, we weren't really expecting him to be this effective so quickly. Um, and so, you know, right away I'm thinking, okay, you know, how do we handle this? What do I want to teach him? What do, what do we get out of this moment? Um, and so, he just wanted to see everything kind of like your daughter did. And, and so we broke the an we, we broke it down. We opened up this bird. We breasted it out. We looked at the pieces and parts and talked about it. And he wanted to save the feathers and save the wings and all these different stuff. And then we were left with a little carcass. And then we decided, you know what he, he asked me, he's like, oh, I wonder, you know, what are we going to do with this? What's going to happen to this? And I said, well, you know, something's probably going to eat it, you know, with the leftovers. And then I thought, you know what? Why don't we learn? Why don't we find out what's going to eat this? So we went and set up a trail camera, put the carcass in front of the trail camera and let it run overnight and turn on video mode. And we got this really cool little lesson that tied the whole hunt together. Um, When we got to the next day, watch video of a possum come out, come up and check it out. And then a raccoon come up and start eating it. And then a second raccoon come and nibble on it. Um, and so we got to kind of see this whole circle of life kind of thing. Um, and I had this opportunity to teach this tiny little, you know, ecology lesson, I guess about how, well, when something does die in nature, other animals will come and feed on it. And so it kind of just kind of goes around, everything's got to eat. Um, and it made what was, what could have been just like a kid shooting something turn into an opportunity to learn about, you know, well, if you shoot something, we're going to break it down. We're going to try to eat it or we're going to try to use it. And also this is what happens afterwards. And this is how other animals will benefit from it. And they thought my, my kids thought it was the, the coolest thing in the world. They were so obsessed with watching that video and they wanted to show everyone the video and they wanted to tell everyone the story. And it wasn't a story just about how Everett shot his first bird, but now it was the story about how we got to see it. We got to touch it. We got to see a raccoon eat it. Um, and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was, it was a fun, interesting example of maybe how, how to do that kind of stuff.
3: That is a, that is cool.
2: So that leads me to my question about shooting. I was curious what you have learned as you have been trying to teach your girls to, to shoot, whether that be a firearm or archery. Um, I've been, you know, just starting with the BB gun with Everett and both of the boys have been, you know, learning to shoot little bows. Um, So that's been a process. What, uh, what's worked? for you guys as you've gone through well, that process. And when did you start? Uh,
3: should I tell you what didn't work? Sure. Man, so when it hasn't been that long in mm-hmm. Minnesota where we've had no minimum age for turkeys. I don't remember when they changed it, but it wasn't it wasn't super long ago. And but when they did, you know, I was like, "Oh, thank God, I can take my girls hunting." So I impulsively went out and bought a little uh youth model 20 gauge. And I thought this will be perfect. You know, like they, we'll start on the, well, I mean, we started with a BB gun and then we shot a 22 and I was like, but this will be their first like Turkey gun. And I took the girls out and we, you know, I bought a, one of those bog pods that the death grip deals that you can lock a gun in there, you know, yep. and that kicks that, that, that holds down the the recoil a little bit. Cause it, it's pretty heavy. And anyway, my, my one daughter, my, my lunatic daughter, she, she squares up to it. To shoot, and I had a, you know, it was like a little trap load in there, like seven and a half, two and three quarter, whatever. And so I'm like, this will be no big deal. And I'm watching her take her first shot. And she picked her head up, then pulled the trigger. So now there was like two inches of space between her face and this gun. And this gun kicks a lot because it's so small. And she got a bloody lip, fat lip. And I I just like it was like a car wreck in slow motion. I'm like, oh, you have you have screwed up so bad. And I knew it. And she was like, well, I'm not shooting that gun anymore. Yeah. And I was my other daughter was okay with it, but she didn't like it. And I'm like, this was so dumb. So dumb. And I had to, I just happened to have a, a little four ten. 22 little savage that I bought when I was in high school to hunt, you know, squirrels and rabbits and whatever. And I was like, well, honey, I have a smaller gun we could try. And I had to, I had to back up the process and start with a BB gun again. Cause she was you know, like understandably flinching like crazy. And I'm like, I can't take her hunting. Cause she's gonna, it's, it's going to be a train wreck. And so I had to go all the way through the process of shooting a 22 again and then finally shooting that 410. But it took until this year when they're 11 to get her to shoot a different gun. She's like, I like that 410 because it doesn't kick. I always want to shoot that. But that's like a base level turkey gun, you know, like if if you can find the the turkey loads for it. And I'm like, we need to, you know, we need to like jump up a level here at some point. But it was it was a. Dumb thing on my part, and it was like uh you know, we've been dealing with it for three years. Just that one mistake, you know, and I feel like we're kind of over it, but it was just you gotta be so careful with that stuff. Like you can't, I I think when you're talking about introducing kids to guns, you can't take it too slow. There is no such thing as too slow, but there is too fast. Yeah.
2: Um, have you have they shot any kind of Small rifle or anything yet, like a 22 or anything.
3: Well, they've shot 22s a lot, and that was kind of our bridge, right? Because that's a that's a gun with no kick, but it has a a, a loud enough bang. Yeah, where and, you know, and obviously they're using hearing protection and stuff. But it's weird, you know. We kind of take it for granted. We're like, we throw on hearing protection and shoot a muzzle or shoot a rifle, whatever. They're just loud, but you're using protection. But they they just view it differently. Like they'll ask me. You know, if we if we go to shoot a new gun, they'll be like, How loud is it? I'm like, it's as loud as every other gun we shoot. Like <laughs> yeah. they're all loud, they're breaking the sound barrier. I don't know. But it's uh it's a process. Do you do, you
2: do that annoying thing where like you say like oh, it's breaking the sound barrier? And speaking of which, did you know the latest rocket can reach the next planet in this speed <laughs> based on the propulsion power of this rocket? And did you know that Elon is that the kind of dad you are?
3: Uh <laughs> probably. <laughs> so okay so now I that we use such an angry condescending voice to describe it but yeah maybe i'm like that
2: <laughs> so sorry continue
3: <laughs> but anyway you got to be careful with it and you know that's one of the things that I, I don't know if we really talked about this or not but they they have a i bought them a, a youth vertical bow they're they're kind of getting used to that a little bit but they've been hunting with a crossbow for deer and you know i'm I'm not interested in crossbows. They're not fun for me. Are you just not my thing, but for kids, you know, they're not loud, they don't kick, they're insanely accurate. So that makes them fun to shoot. And that was kind of another bridge for me was they're like, I love shooting this. You know, you don't, you don't have to worry about the bang. You don't have to worry about the recoil. And so that was kind of another thing I did not see coming you know, partially because I had almost no experience with them when I bought one for them, you know, but you just, you find different ways to just like make this process happen, but it's a slow one. I mean, or it, it can be, and probably should be, you know? Yeah.
2: What age did you get them started with a crossbow? I, crossbows kind of freaked me out for some reason. Like there's just a lot of power packed into that pullback string. And, and even when I've shot them in the past, like, I'm just like, I'll oh, keep those fingers down. Keep those fingers down. Yeah. Uh, boom yeah when did you when did that start with them and what was that like early on
3: we I started with them when I I, so I bought them this youth crossbow when they were like eight and you know they would come out and target shoot with me some you know and I'm I'm the same way man I I when I shoot a crossbow or I handle a crossbow I feel like I'm trying to ride a unicycle yeah (laughs) it is an awkward thing that I just I'm not comfortable with kind of like you know when we were out in montana last month and the uh doing that long range rifle shoot we did yeah i was so uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. you, you know like that was so unnatural for me i you know i don't shoot rifles that way that that whole yeah. thing it was cool but that kind of stuff's a good reminder to us because you know we're we're so comfortable picking up a bow or you know like i'm i'm so comfortable handling a shotgun in my life and so you, you take it for granted but with a kid all that stuff's new And so you kind of just got to like, you got to slowly get them into there. But the the crossbow thing was an easy transition. And it was, it was fun because those things are so stupid accurate. If they're shooting at a deer target at like 20 yards, they don't hardly ever screw up. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's like, it's a different thing. And when people are like, oh, they're the same thing as a vertical bow, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. You're like, they're just not like, let's, let's not pretend they are, but I'm happy that, that we got to go through that there. Like if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if I want crossbows in Wisconsin, I would have said, absolutely not. But then when I've got little girls and they want to shoot something and I could deer hunt with them, I'm like, I think I'll change my stance on this a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, so hold on. They're, they're legal in Michigan too, right? Yeah. Yep. How do you feel about it? Like, how do you feel about it with the boys? Uh, I don't know.
2: I, I guess I haven't thought terribly hard about it, but I f- think I—I I guess I don't know. I, I mean, uh, you, you're,
3: you're not—you're kind of agnostic on it. You're like, I might take him with it. I might not. Yes, I thing. would.
2: I would say I'm agnostic. I know that Everett has an interest in shooting a vertical bow. He's already shooting, you know, a little wheel bow probably this year going to get him one of those tiny compounds that are super adjustable. Um, and I think he's pretty jacked about that and will want to go that route. Um, but at the same time, if I told him he could go out there and use a crossbow sooner, you know, he he would probably be like, yeah, whatever, I'll use whatever I can do to be out there and hunt. Um, so in that case, I mean, to your point, they're super, I, I don't have any fundamental issue with crossbows personally. Um, it's not my jam. It's not what I want to use. Um, and there's been, from everything I've seen, a lot of studies out there that have shown that it's not changing the actual harvest. Even it might be changing the percentage it's killed in archery versus gun season. Um, but it's, you know, it's not decimating deer herds anywhere. It's not ruining age structure anywhere. It's not actually messing up the resource. So if it's, if it's helping people have a good time out there and keeping people hunting longer or getting them started sooner, I guess I don't see a whole lot of reasons to, to hate on it other than like it might not be the experience we want personally or for some people um yep. so in that case like if my kids were like man i really want to get after it and they're not quite ready with a vertical bow but i think they could do it with a crossbow i guess that would probably be on board with it um as long as it doesn't keep them from you know pursuing the practice and the you know work necessary to become proficient with a vertical bow because like I know that's such a great experience. That's such a great thing to, to work on, to get good at that is so much fun. And like the, the, the work necessary to get good with it, I think is, is a big part of why it's so good. Do you know what I mean? Um, For sure. like I think a, a downside to crossbows is that they're so easy that it does not require the dedication. So I think, you know, there's an argument to be made like vertical bow hunters, have to dedicate themselves to their pursuit so much more than a crossbow hunter because it's just just to become proficient at it and to stay proficient requires an attention to detail and a certain amount of work and practice that like there's value in that i think i don't know how much value i don't know you know i'm not going to say that they're better than the other it's just a different thing that i find valuable and so i would i would want that for my kids eventually um but i don't think there's anything wrong you know, doing a little bit of both to get started, I suppose.
3: Yeah. You know, I'm, I feel like you, uh, I mean, obviously I'm in a little different place cause my girls have actually hunted with a crossbow, but my one daughter is really geeked up to hunt with a vertical bow. The other one's kind of so, so on it. And uh, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about that cause I want them to hunt the way I hunt. You know, like I want, I want them to appreciate the process. You're talking about a learning how to become proficient with a vertical bow. But I also loved, I mean, I really loved the fact that, you know, I was like, if I can get a deer within 20 yards, they're probably going to make a good shot. Yeah. You know, and that, cause again, and it it might be, it's different with different kids, but I was like, it's so easy to make a big mistake with a vertical bow, you know? And if you're, if you're in a ground blind at 20 yards on, you know, pressure deer and they got to draw, I'm like there's a good chance of a deer ducking the string a little bit or something. And just, and maybe I'm just justifying taking them out with a crossbow early, but I, I feel like we're working into that stage you're talking about with a vertical bow. And so I don't necessarily feel like starting them on a crossbow took them like changed the arc of their, you know, their hunting career. But at the same time, I'm not there yet. Like they're not hunting with a vertical bow and I don't, I I worry because they'll have that crutch, right? If we go out and they miss a deer or something bad happens with a vertical bow, they'll know they can go back to that easier weapon. And me, you know, maybe that really doesn't matter. Maybe this is something like I'm bringing to the table, but it, it is something that I devote some of my mental horsepower to, because I think about it a lot and I don't, I just don't know. I don't know where that shakes out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you make a lot of good points there. And uh, probably the most important thing is to make it fun and get them out there and ease them into this situation with as little risk for a catastrophic incident as possible. And, you know, they'll get there when they get there with this other stuff. Um, But, I mean, if you were to compare, like, what's the worst case scenario with each worst case scenario with the crossbow let's say is like well they end up looking at it as a crutch and they just use that all the time and they don't develop a love of shooting a vertical bow like you do okay that's a bummer but they're still hunting they still like to get out there while like the worst case scenario with the vertical bow might be man they spined one it was a really devastating thing to see and experience and they never want to do it again they're done hunting you know so yep. you make a I mean that's hard to argue against right there
3: yeah any. It- you know, I, it's weird too. Cause we, the way we feel about vertical bows and crossbows, we bring like so much personal baggage with it, Yeah. but I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel that way if my little girls are like, Hey, can we rifle hunt deer? Even though I'm almost as unfamiliar with deer rifles as I am with crossbows. Like, I mean, I not quite, you know, I've killed a few deer with a rifle and I'm, you know, what it's a little different, but it wouldn't even. I wouldn't feel like that took away from the archery experience I want them to have. Right. You know, it's just like sometimes you just like bring a little bit too much bullshit to the table, I think, and it maybe doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. I, I think you're probably right. We're just bringing our own stuff.
3: So, hey, can I make a prediction here? Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to say <laughs> that Mark Kenyon's sons will start with a crossbow. <laughs> because they'll be able to hunt earlier with that than they will with a vertical bow. So I'm, I'm looking at my crystal ball and I'm going to say that those little Kenyan boys are going to kill their first year with a crossbow.
2: <laughs> you probably aren't too far off. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ev- I mean, Everett would be out there r- this year, right here, rock and roll. If I told him he could be using one of those crossbows and he could do it. He's uh he's a fiend. <laughs> I, uh I told the story, I think it was last week on the podcast, but I'll, I'll just give you the 10 second version i was gonna take him out the other day just to like go with me on a turkey hunt quote unquote like just to go call some in, like we've done in the past and he just started crying like devastated i'm like why are you upset he's like i want us to kill a real bird dad we gotta get a real (laughs) bird we gotta get him (laughs) it's like what i don't have my license yet like i wasn't planning actually going for a week um but he just wants to hunt like really hunt so 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 bad and if if he can't be shooting, he wants me to be really, really bad. So, uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's ready to rock and roll.
0: Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ—the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients and as often is the case those guys were on to something ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, everybody, listen up. I got, I got mega huge news. MEATEATER Live is heading back out on the road. That's right. Join me and the crew. Clay Newcomb, Cal, Yanni, Spencer's going to be there. Phil the engineer is going to be there. Meat Eater Live, headed back out. Now, when you get every ticket, okay, every ticket you buy, you get a signed copy of our new Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook. This tour is celebrating the release of the book. Buy a ticket, get a signed copy Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, Wild Game Recipes for the Grill, Smoker, Camp Stove, and Camp Fire, which I'll point out is a $38 value. Here's where we're going to go. April 23rd, the Mesa Art Center in Mesa, Arizona. April 24th, the Balboa Theater in San Diego. April 25th, the Grove in Anaheim, California. April 27, the Crest Theater in Sacramento. April 29, the Union in Salt Lake City. April 30, the Egyptian in Boise. May 1, The Wilma Theater in Missoula, May 2. The Bing Crosby Theater in Spokane, Washington. May 4, Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. And May 5, the last day of the tour, Pantages Theater in Tacoma, Washington. For tickets and more information, visit the events page at TheMeater.com. Hope to see you at the show.
2: Is there any big thing you've learned when it comes to the deer hunting side of things with all this? I mean, we've talked about balancing the fun. We've talked about balancing the discomfort. Uh, We've talked about balancing the risk of something bad happening. I think all that kind of all comes to its like greatest, highest point with like the big creature like a deer and all that. Um, What are some of the things you've learned about just handling that? full experience the right way any things have gone wrong or have gone really right as you've gone down that path further and further
3: um i would say a couple of the things that i've learned is you the more that i can get them involved like we talked about in any part of the process so i you know we hunt out of ground blinds we run trail cameras and i want them to help me set that stuff up So I guess a different way to look at this is we view this as parents. We go, we're, we're, we're the guides. We're taking them out. We control the situation and that's largely true, but not to the extent that it seems you end up kind of realizing that you have to treat this like a partnership. And so, yeah, I, I need them to go help me set up so they appreciate what it's like to be out there and get bit by a few deer flies and, you know, do a little work, but then I also need to just back off and really listen to them when, you know, we're hunting, if they're super tired and they don't want to get up like tomorrow, if they're like, it's been three days in a row, I have to respect that because, because I've pushed it too far. Or if we're out there and I can just, I'm getting the vibe that they're done for the sit, you know, if it's, you know, eight thirty in the morning, and I, you know, I'm like, man, we we should stick this out for a while. But if they're, if the signals are going up and they're done, I have to respect that. Yeah, because it's not my hunt, and it, and it, and that's a hard thing, man, because it's like, there's sometimes they're just not feeling it quite the same way, or something changes and they're they're done, or, you know, kind of like. One of the things that has happened that actually broke in my favor was, you know, the girls are like, I am not shooting a fawn. I'm not shooting a doe with a fawn. I want, you know, this kind of buck or this kind of doe or whatever. And I'm like, great, let's do that. But when deer get in front of them, they're like, I want to shoot that deer. And so you just like, you just realize you're like, I got to let this happen for them. Like, I got to set it up. I got to help you know, help put them into the position, but I don't want to influence so much that they're worried like, oh, if I shoot this, like, what's he going to think or that? Like, I want to leave that wide open for them. You know, if they don't want to shoot it, great. If they want to, great. And then, you know, the process of like, okay, if you take that shot, we have to work through every part of this now. And just like, just have you have to just do that and it's it's hard because you want to control so much of every aspect of it but it's not your hunt you know like it's literally not your hunt and you it, that's a hard thing to just kind of reconcile but it's true
2: mm-hmm man and it's 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 so true and it can be painful sometimes when it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier with like how bad we want it versus how bad they want it to happen you know um yeah I had like two different great examples of this last year. Um, last year I got to take Everett hunting with me a lot. It was like the best thing I did last season was, you know, prioritizing hunting time with him. And so, I mean, you know, in past years I would have been so obsessed with like, I need to maximize every single moment I have to kill a big deer, blah, blah, blah. Um, and last year I was like, no, we're going to have fun. And so I think like seven or eight hunts, you know, during pretty good times of the year, I was hunting with Everett. Um, and, a couple times that like that cost us because I was hunting his hunt and like listening to his signals. Uh <laughs> But I mean like, like one perfect example is we went and we're like, we're going to get a deal. He was so excited. He said, I want us to get a deal together. We're going to do it. It's going to be a great time. So we went out, I had all the stuff, you know, we had, you know, I, I kind of figured out the things he needs to make it through a sit. He's pretty good. What well, we can get like a several hour sit in with him. He was four at the time this past season. Um But, you know, he needs some reading material. He needs a lot of snacks. He needs, uh, you know, his binoculars so he can look at stuff. He needs a few things along the way um, to get him through it. But we got to the end of the night. It's like the last 15 minutes. And, like, I'm seeing deer moving, coming our way. And he's sudden like, Dad, got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, all right, well, there's only 15 minutes left. And he's like, okay, you're right. I can just hold it. Ten minutes later, the does are getting closer and closer. I'm like, all right, man, get ready. And he's like, "Yeah." I really think I got to poop, Dad. And I'm like, well, can't you hold it? It's only like eight more minutes, and there's deer coming. We're about to get them. He's like, okay, yes, yeah, sure. And like a minute later, they're like approaching range. He's like, hey, Dad, yeah, get a poop. We got to go. <laughs> and I'm like, well, dang it. They're right here. Like, can't you just – we could get a deer. And I want it so bad, and I want to fight him on this because I know he can hold it. He's he's a big kid, but uh, you get to see he's like, he's like, nah, I'm, I'm ready to go now. I'm ready to go back home. And I'm like, okay all right, I'm not going to fight it. Not gonna, we we just gotta go. Um, or another time I took him up to our cabin up North and it was the last day of the hunt. And there was a lot of fresh snow from overnight. And we walk out to our blind that we'd set up. And there are, there are fresh tracks from a deer, um, that had not a deer, like a buck, like pretty darn obvious buck tracks that had come, come and walked, um, right past the blind relatively recently. And, um, I thought to myself, man, that's great. We got fresh tracks. This buck come walking through. Um, You know, he very well might come back through. There might be some other deer passing through. Conditions are great. Uh, But at the same time, like, we might want to just follow this. He might have fun just following this track. So I'm like, hey, buddy, what do you want to do? We can sit in the blind. We got a good chance that, you know, these deer might come circling back through. We might see something else. Um, Or... If you want, we could just go walk that track and see what happens. He's like, let's walk the track, dad. We got to go walk the track. And of course, that's what he wants to do. So we go and we walk that track um, and he's, you know, making noise. He's having a blast. Like he was having a lot of fun with it and like trying to identify what he was doing and where he was going and what was going on. Um, But. You know, long story short, we follow the track for like an hour, and then he's tired. He's like, ah, I'm done for the day, dad. That was great, but you know'm I'm, I'm done. And so we go <laughs> back to the cabin and I had to go back to the blind though, to break it down and take it home with us. So he goes back to the cabin with my dad and I go walk back to the blind and I see in the snow, that buck had circled back and walked in front of the blind, like 20 yards from the blind within the last hour. So while we were walking his track, yep. he came circling back and walked right past there. And I thought, man, if we just sat in the dang thing, the, you know, the buck might have circled back because we were on his track. So maybe not. But if we would just sat, we would have had a chance at a deer, at deer camp up there together for the first time. And, you know, you're just like, man, you never know. But we did the thing that he wanted to do. And, you know, that's great. I think he had a great time and it was fun. But there's so many examples like this where I have to pull myself back from doing the thing that I think's best for the hunt. or or and this is something that I think I talked to you maybe off air about, Um, but sometimes not putting them, at least at this age that he's in, I'm maybe not rushing him into a high stakes situation. Yeah. Um, Because they're just not quite ready or, or maybe they are, but you know, it forces me to be more serious. So the thing I had happened last year is um, at one point during our firearm season, I saw, I scouted a mature buck using an area several days in a row um that I had a couple blinds set up. Like I had a child friendly hunting situation set up. And there was a 4-year-old buck that I knew um that I knew of and kind of knew his jam, but I wasn't actively hunting um but now here he's showing up and he's going past these couple blinds I've set up in a place where like I could actually have a chance to kill this deer with my five or four year old with me. And so I wasn't planning on hunting this deer. I was going to give him another year, but I thought, man, this could be pretty sweet. Um, And so I asked ever, I'm like, man, do you want to go after the wide nine? Like he's, he's around. He's for some reason, like active in this zone. We could actually get a crack at him. And of course, like, yeah, we're going to go kill the wide nine. Let's do it. <laughs> so I take him out that first night and get set up and like, it's a pretty good situation. And sure enough, like we see him, like he comes out, he comes out farther out of range than I really wanted him to be at. And I decided not to take the shot because I just didn't want anything. I wanted it to be perfect. Like I did not want to ruin a great season by, you know, hitting a deer bad with my son watching it. Um, and I'm not a long range shooter, as you know, Tony. So I was like, <laughs> man, I want this deer within 150 yards, dead broadside standing still. Like I want everything to be perfect. Um, but throughout the night, like I kept catching myself do the thing I mentioned earlier where I'm like, because I was so amped up to like get a shot at a mature buck with my son and have him get to be there for it. I wanted everything to go just right. You know? So yep. I was snapping at him to you gotta whisper. You got to whisper. You just got to stop moving. You got to if you're in a move, you got to be lower in the blood. You can't do that. Can't do this. Can't do that. You got to do this. Right. And I kept catching myself. And then that whole thing happened. Didn't take the shot. The next day, the wind shifted, but I could hunt this ground blind that I had out there about a hundred yards away that would still have us in the ball game. And then the same thing. Now I'm even more on edge because first we were in like a more fully enclosed blind, but now we're in like a kind of really cruddy old hay bale blind, um, that, you know, just is kind of more exposed. And I just knew like, man, if we do anything wrong, we're at eye level. Uh, it just, I was even more on edge now that day. And so kept finding myself, you know, just being on him about whispering, about moving, about everything. And after that hunt, we actually saw, saw that buck again that night at last light, but it was a similar thing. Like just, it was like, right, like literally like seconds until the end of shooting light. It was not like a comfortable, good position for me to be shooting. I'm like, man, I just don't feel great about this. I don't want to mess anything up. Um, But like that night, the the kind of moral, my whole story is that night, I thought to myself, man, we could keep going after this deer. Like he did not know we're around. We were able to slip in and out and he, you know, had moved off at the right times. And so like, we were not educating this deer to my knowledge. Uh, The situation could allow us to get a shot at this deer, but do I really want to keep like putting my son in this like high pressure situation that I'm creating for him and like making it so intense when he was perfectly happy just being out there, having a good old time, regardless of whether there's a mature buck or not, you know? Yeah, And so we eventually decided, like, like, let's just chill out. Let's just let's just relax. We'll get back out after a dough again. Let's not make this more than it has to be because he was enjoying the simple thing of it. He doesn't need the big giant buck for his dad to, to shoot for this still to be fun. And why, like, risk making this a non-fun thing? Because dad's on edge, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's. I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make with, you know, newbies and kids is when you bring some level of trophy hunt to it, it changes everything. And it's just, you know, that, that was one of the things that I, I noticed with my girls when I took them was it was so fun to not care. I mean, we were hunting in a place where you weren't going to see a big one anyway, probably, but you know, a, a spike to them was like, Oh my God. You know, like that, that part's pretty fun. And you, you have to be aware of that. Like even that, that deer that you're like, Oh, I'd give him another year or whatever his coolies around. Once you turn into the guy hunting that deer, then you hmm. care a lot. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just changes. It's funny how quick that
2: flip can switch.
3: <laughs> oh dude. It, it just, it's different. It makes it different. And it's, I don't know. I mean, we, we had this situation a little bit when I, like the very first night I ever took, uh, one of my daughters hunting, we were just snowed in with deer. It was the best Northern Wisconsin hunt I've ever had in my life. And we had like seven bucks come out, including a nine pointer that was like 150 inches. Whoa. I mean, like a once in a decade encounter and that deer is at like 40 yards and, I just, I was so torn because I'm like, she can't shoot that far and she doesn't really grasp what this is. Mm-hmm. And she ended up, it, we ended up having some does come in later, and it, but it's, man, it just changes things. The big buck thing changes things so much. It's, it, it's almost better to just take them hunting, like you said, only for does or just in a situation where you're like. This is just an easy field edge setup or something, and you know, like you're you're probably not going to see that big buck, and it's way more important just to get animals close. Yeah, you yeah. know, just what whatever they are.
2: Yeah, you know, even even a, another thing I've started to do is even just take them out to hunt, quote unquote, hunt out of season. So we're not taking weapons; like we're just going to go sit in the blind and just watch deer. We're just going to go out and call the turkeys. We're not actually trying to shoot them, but like that way, like the pressure is removed, but we can still have fun, you know, learning about the critter, watching the critter, practicing the things you need to do while you're hunting, but without me being so manic because there's no real repercussions for screw ups, you know? Like that's a way I've built in a way to like have fun out there with them, practicing the hunting thing and just removing the thing that I know I will naturally like, like fighting against my instincts. I'll just remove part of it. And that has been a fun thing to do. Like post season after deer season, we'll still go out and like watch deer or preseason turkeys. We'll go out and call yep. in spots where I'm not going to actually try to hunt. Um And like, that's lots of times just as much fun for them. Like they're, they don't know the difference. They're having a blast.
3: Um it, Yeah, dude, we, we do that too. And not only is it fun, but it's so beneficial. Yeah. Like getting just getting to watch animals, I think, I think that's one of the biggest problems a lot of hunters have today. Is it's so easy to put out some trail cameras and not, you know, like long-range scout them, not not observe deer or turkeys or whatever in their natural environment when you're not hunting them. Cause when you when you do that, you learn how they move and what they do and you know how they get from this point to that point and how relaxed they are a lot of times and it just is a is an education you can't get any other way and it gives you so much confidence and it's fun to take kids doing that but i think just generally for hunters and i know this sounds dumb but like, the more you watch those critters when you're not actively trying to kill them the better you'll get at killing them yeah very true
2: You know, something came to mind that's not directly tied to that, but it it is a thing. It is one of the interesting ways that my kids have helped teach me something. And it's related to watching wildlife. And we, what we did is we, it's very simple. I mean, I know a lot of people do this, but we didn't have any bird feeders or birdhouses or anything like that up, up until this past winter, we put out, uh, a couple bird houses and like a little suet thing and, or bird feeders and stuff like that um, right by uh, the window to our bedroom in this like little area that we've kind of let turn into like a little uh, wildlife zone. I don't know, like a rewild where we kind of rewilded a little part of our yard we're like, let the grow- get grass grow up, put in a little brush pile, um, got a couple apple trees, put in the bird feeders, plant some wildflowers, stuff like that. Um, and, my son, especially, but both of them, well, my oldest son, especially, but now both of them, in a way like I never would have expected, and in a way like I never have been fascinated by, have become like completely enthralled with these birds that come in. And I mean, like they're obsessed. Like they get up in the morning and run to the bedroom to go see what birds are out. And we got a little spotting scope and then we got a bird identification book. And now all of a sudden, my son, like, this is something that I have not p- pushed at all. Like I have no interest and songbirds and that kind of stuff historically. Um, but he's like, now he's identifying every different species. And then he wanted to make a list of every different species we've ID'd. And now he can tell me how to tell the difference between a tufted titmouse and a black hatched chickadee and a red bellied woodpecker versus a downy woodpecker versus a pileated woodpecker. And he's got this list of all the different birds we've seen. And he's got the book and can point them all out. And he's learning the calls and this kind of stuff that I just gloss over. Like I get so focused on like the, the big, big charismatic megafauna kind of stuff. And he's giving me this new appreciation for the little things. And so for like the first time in years, probably I was driving down the road just past the house and I, I noticed a bird that we had not seen before. And I thought that's a new bird species. I got to look that up. And I never would have done that before. And I thought, like, how cool is that? Like, my son is bringing his passion to me and teaching me something and and helping open my eyes to something in the natural world. And I think that's one of the coolest things about introducing your kids to the outdoors is that they can introduce you right back into
3: it, too. Do, Do you know what that story tells me, Mark? What's that? You don't need to do a paternity test. That one's yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think everybody listening to this is like, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. at <laughs> little Kenyon juniors dorking out on songbirds like this, <laughs> this sounds about right, man.
2: Yeah. We saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh yeah,
2: man. So, uh, so we got to wrap this one up. I've got to take my son to school speaking of, um, but I guess to, to, to maybe set the stage for where this is going to go next. And we're going to pull in some folks with more expertise than you and I, Tony, to share some different ideas. Um, But I guess a point I want to make here, and I think this came through our conversation, but I want to kind of explicitly make it. And I guess I'll say this for myself and you tell me whether this is if you think this is true or not, but I constantly feel like I still don't have it figured out. Like there's so much I still don't know yet. I still have so many questions about the right way to handle this stuff with my kids, the right way to bring them into these traditions and these pursuits, the right way to teach them. Um, like I constantly feel like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm like walking around with the lights off and I'm feeling my way around and just trying to figure it out one step at a time. And, and I guess I want to explicitly say that that's how I feel a lot and it's okay if you feel that way too. Um, does that resonate with you, Tony?
3: Oh man, are you kidding me? When, dude, when they, when they handed me two babies, when I was, I was like, I don't, this is not, this should not be. Like, this is a mistake. I can't do this. (laughs) And you feel that way all the time. And I'm, you know, I always joke like with my wife, I'm like, I'm so freaking manly. How come I have two girls? (laughs) You know, like, I'm like, I don't know how to raise girls. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And you just figure it out. I mean, you just do. And I want to say something on this Uh, beyond that. Like if you're listening to this and you're like not at a stage where you're like, I'm not having kids or for whatever reason. And you're like this, this doesn't value me or like doesn't bring value to me very much. Taking people who don't know what they're doing out there will make you better. Like whether it's your own five-year-old or eight-year-old or whatever, or if you're just taking that coworker who expressed an interest or whatever, when you have to think through how to get somebody who has no experience or very little experience into something good out there in the outdoors, hunting whitetails or whatever, you will get better. So at the very least, if there's if this is like I'm not this doesn't resonate with me at all, like there's like a selfish, beneficial reason to doing this. Which is just you you will become a better hunter by having to think through somebody else's process that doesn't know what they're doing.
2: Yeah, that's not even just opinion. There's like uh, there's a lot of studies about the teaching effect in which they have they've measured the ability to like remember something or the ability to understand a concept, the, the ability to perform at a high level um, is every one of those things is improved. If you have to teach it to someone else. So if you want to try to remember your ABCs or something, one of the best ways to get better at remembering your ABCs is to have to not only learn them yourself, but teach them to somebody else. Same thing. If you want to get better at, you know, like you just mentioned hunting, one of the ways to get better at it is to have to teach someone. I think that is a proven thing. Um, So yeah, absolutely. You're going to get better because of it. I think you're going to enjoy all this more because of it. You're going to, see new things come to light and you're going to appreciate things in a different kind of way. Um, and we haven't mentioned this once, but it's also worth noting that, man, if we want to keep this thing going, if we want to keep this lifestyle going, we need to keep introducing people to it and passing on our love for it and our experiences and our lessons so that, uh, we're not a dying breed so that there are folks 50 years from now who still hunting fish and appreciate what we're doing and care enough about the critters and the wild places to keep them around too. So. There's that. Amen, man. Too. All right, my friend. Uh, tune in next week for more insights. We're going to bring in, like I said, some uh, some interesting characters, some authors, some deep thinkers to give us some expert points of view on all of these things that'll help us be better moms or dads, mentors, and uh, folks that can hopefully help um, foster a love for the outdoors and hunting and fishing. So. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of this one. Um, I guess until next time, we'll just wrap it up there and keep on keeping on and stay wired to hunt.
0: I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Hey, everybody, listen up. I got I got mega huge news. Meat Eater Live is heading back out on the road. That's right. Join me and the crew. Clay Newcomb, Cal, Yanni, Spencer's going to be there. Phil the Engineer is going to be there. Meat Eater Live, head it back out. Now, when you get every ticket, okay, every ticket you buy, you get a signed copy of our new Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook. This tour is celebrating the release of the book. Buy a ticket, get a signed copy, Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, camp stove, and camp fire, which I'll point out is a $38 value. Here's where we're going to go. April 23rd, the Mesa Art Center in Mesa, Arizona. April 24th, the Balboa Theater in San Diego. April 25, the Grove in Anaheim, California. April 27, the Crest Theater in Sacramento. April 29, the Union in Salt Lake City. April 30, The Egyptian in Boise. May 1, The Wilma Theater in Missoula, May 2. The Bing Crosby Theater in Spokane, Washington. May 4, Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. And May 5, the last day of the tour, Pantages Theater in Tacoma, Washington. For tickets and more information, visit the events page at TheMeater.com. Hope to see you at the show.